From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. Ask not for whom the bell tolls. Ask for whom the bill tolls. (laughs) I'm Bill Curtis, and here is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in downtown Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. We have a really interesting show for you this week. Uh, Later on, we're going to be talking to Valerie Jarrett, who not only was a senior advisor to President Barack Obama, but is the longest serving senior advisor to a president in U.S. history, every minute of all eight years. That brings up an interesting question. What dirt exactly does she have on him? (laughs) We'll be sure to ask her, but first we're gonna ask you some questions, so give us a call. The number is one triple eight wait wait That's 1-888-924-8924. Now let's welcome our first listener contestant. Hi, you are on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Hi, Peter. This is Michael Wozniak from New Britain, Connecticut. Michael Wozniak from New Britain. I know where that is. Uh, What do you do there? Well, I'm a financial solutions advisor. What is a financial solutions advisor? Uh, It's kind of a a fancy way of saying a financial advisor that lives in a bank. Oh, okay. (laughs) Because a financial solution to me would be like, you need more money. (laughs) Well, welcome to the show, Michael. Let me introduce you to our panel this week. First up, it's the co-host of the podcast, Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. It's Adam Felber. Hi, Michael. Hi, Adam. Next, it's a features writer for the style section of the Washington Post, Roxanne Roberts. Hello, Michael. And a writer and actor you've seen on Veep and also playing the Veep, Mike Pence on The President Show, it's Peter Gross. Hello. Hi, Peter. So, Michael, welcome to our show. You're going to play Who's Bill this time. Of course, Bill Curtis is going to recreate for you three quotations from the week's news. Your job, correctly identify or explain just two of them. Do that, you win our prize, the voice of your choice on your voicemail. You ready to do this? I am never ready. No. <laughs> that actually, I think, is the right mindset for this. It's very zen. <laughs> Sounds like a great financial advisor. <laughs> <laughs> All right, your first quote is the president of the United States reacting to another country's provocation. I have a feeling, and I may be wrong, and I may be right, and I'm right a lot, <laughs> that it was a mistake. That was the president <laughs> acting as the voice of reason. <laughs> Really? After who shot down an American drone this week? Iran. Exactly, Iran, yes. If you were really into that retro 80s vibe of U.S. versus Russia, you were going to love this reboot of U.S. versus Iran. You know, Madonna's on tour right now. They're making a new Bill and Ted movie. The only more 80s thing you could have right now is a businessman named Donald Trump driving something he runs right into the ground. But you can tell, you can tell the Iranians are kind of enjoying the nostalgia too. They're even selling hats in Tehran that say, make death to America great again. (laughs) (laughs) So you gotta laugh because you have to laugh. It's just, it's just fun. And it's just fun to relax and then just be into it all. It's just fun. It's fun. It's good time. It's It's really great. And it's fun to trust the people in charge and just to know that it's going to work out. So, um, things have been getting tense, as you know, for a while. You think? You think? (laughs) Yeah. First, the U.S. withdrew from the Iran deal. Then Iran allegedly attacked some oil tankers. Then Trump accused Rouhani of getting a bad facelift. No, wait, that was Mika Brzezinski. (laughs) 
Then this week, Iran shot down a U.S. drone aircraft, and the president, as you heard, instead of responding with his usual fire and fury, said, hey, it was probably a mistake. Yeah, he, he suggested it was some underling that was uh, acting above his station. Exactly. And then later in the day, Iran was like, uh, no, no, we meant to shoot that down. Yeah. <laughs> here's some maps, here's you know, some video, and uh, here's a that? little scrapbook we put together. Yeah. <laughs> I also, what was great was that the, I mean, that's a little like, you know, he said, she said about, like, where the drone was. We said it was international waters. They said it was over their land. And... Our proof was just a Google Maps thing with a little blue dot. That yeah, we said dropped like, a pin. That said, like, this is where the launch came from, and this is where our drone was, which was like, oh, that looks official. But you also like, you could just make that. And then Iran's response was like, a hand-drawn map that was like, <laughs> missile here, and then like, the Gulf and stuff like that. It was really like, I don't believe either of you. No. And, and the funny thing was, on our map, it said underneath, you knew it was made by Google, because it said that it was a, a 37-hour drive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to get there. <laughs> now I use I use Waze. I have to say when I'm bu- when I'm shooting down drones, I always use Waze. Oh, yeah, but that'll take your no. I think that'll Waze take is- your missile on so many weird turns. I know, but you get there two minutes earlier. Yeah, but why does it matter two minutes? It's two minutes. That's time you could be spent shooting down another drone. <laughs> now, why is Trump trying to keep this war from happening? Well, he probably took a look at Iran. It's anti-gay, anti-woman, anti-Jew. And he's like, whoa, what are we doing? Iran is my base. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, Michael, your next quote is from a former advisor to Barack Obama. We knew the primary wouldn't be all puppies and rainbows forever. He was talking about 23 people who finally started going after each other this week. Who are they? Oh, the, the, the candidates for the Democratic primary? Yes, the Democratic presidential candidates. Very good. This week, the various presidential candidates on the Democratic side finally started attacking each other. It was real, a real mano a mano fight. Well, actually, because there are 23 of them, it was actually mano a mano a mano a mano a mano obedo. So Joe Biden, the front runner, bragged about his ability to get along with people he disagreed with, like, he said, segregationists from the South. It is unclear why he did this, because Democratic voters are probably not looking to replace Trump with someone who gets along with racists better. Well, that's how you dig into his base, is you take away some of those people. Because you drop the segregationist names, and people are like, well, now I'm listening, Joe Biden. <laughs> tell me more. Yes, tell me more. It's, I mean, oh, bless his heart. You know, you just want to, like, everybody loves Joe. That's, by the way, that's what you say about a cousin who's, like, kind of, you know, well, touched. But, but, yeah. but to be fair, conveying to voters that he has the ability to reach across the aisle and make Congress get along and be effective again is a great strategy for 1986. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're all going to see this play out because the debates are next week. There's going to be two of them, 10 candidates a night. The first question from the moderator is going to be, what is your name again? <laughs> <laughs> they should, when they do the debates, they should be like, and just go down the line and please say your opening and then your closing statement. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Because that is all we have time for. <laughs> Here, Michael, is your last quote. Spikes, head horns, and phone bones. Those are nicknames given to a supposed new medical phenomenon, a bony spike growing in the back of many people's heads entirely due to what? Looking down on your phone. Exactly right, Michael. It turns out 
that looking down at our phone so much might actually be causing a bony spike to be growing in the back of our heads. You can feel the bone if you press down to the back of your neck. It's right underneath the Apple logo. <laughs> oh. and, and the theory is this is happening because we're constantly looking down and our, our head is like growing a little extra bone to help the muscle support the weight of our hanging head. Of but you course, know what? It's not a bone. It's an antenna. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Mine's 5G. That's good. <laughs> it's not a problem. We, uh, there's a way to get around this. What we can do is we can all stop staring down at our phones. We just hang our phones on the phone bone of the person walking in front of us. What if we, instead of look down, you know how they have those um, headsets where you can put cans of beers on yes, the side? Yes, yes. Beer helmets. Straws. Beer, okay. So why don't Yeah, they're called beer helmets, Rock. They're not called headsets. Headsets. <laughs> okay. Maybe do one where the phone just kind of comes out and it hangs. In, in front, front of you. Of like, exactly. like, like the old thing they used to do with mule of hanging a carrot out there. And it, <laughs> yeah. So people are just like, oh, <laughs> walking towards their phone. I love how, like, it's always, like, this is such a human thing uh, that we're doing now. It's like, don't change the problem. Like, let's innovate our way out of this, these neck things. So, like, the fact that you're even like, let's just make another thing that you can put on your head that brings your phone in front of you to prevent this. Supposed to, like, put the phone down. They want bones growing out of the back of your neck. I'm a realist. Nobody is... No. All right. Realistically. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Somebody just called me. <laughs> Bill, how did Michael do? Well, he said he was never ready, but boy, he was ready this time. <laughs> he he got great. him all right. Congratulations, Michael. Well done. Thank you, Peter. Thanks for calling. Right now, panel, time for you to answer some questions about this week's news. Peter, more and more people are using sleep trackers, wearable gadgets that give you data to help you improve your sleep. But according to a new study, these sleep trackers can also cause what? Anxiety and insomnia. Exactly right. <laughs> you say irony, they say business model. <laughs> the devices monitor your heart rate, your restlessness, where you roll around, your REM cycle, and they give you a sleep score. Basically, they have gamified sleep. But new research shows people are so anxious about getting a good sleep score that it keeps them up at night. You know how it goes, you don't get a good sleep score, you won't get into a good sleep school. <laughs> <laughs> and your parents will have to Photoshop your face onto a sleeping person. I know. You know, do you know, do you know how people, people like, I don't know why they do this, but to cheat their step counter, they would sometimes like attach it yeah. to their dog. We did, you, we, I learned yes. that from you, Peter, like and a year I mean, ago. What would, be the, what would be the sleep tracker equivalent, like attaching it to a corpse? No, it would be the, the steps is for a dog and the sleep is for a cat. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, does the sleep tracker customize it or does it tell you what you're supposed to do? It just gives you the raw data you're asking? Yeah, I think, I think what it does, because my phone does this without me asking it. It says, you haven't been getting enough sleep. It, it sort of lectures you. You should get more sleep. Your phone does this? Yeah. Do you turn your phone off when you sleep? Uh, well, I've got like, this thing. It's like, it tells me time for bed. And then you go to bed? Yeah. So hold on a second. Wait a but minute. You know that's I'm like not a gonna, suggestion. I'm not going to say no to my phone. It's, it's not, why would you install such a... It's my best a, friend. Oh my God. You're not five and it's your parents. That's why you have skull no, spurs. <laughs> that's the problem. And the other problem is I can't sleep because I keep lying on my skull bone. <laughs> Coming up, our panelists have lots of excuses in our Bluff the Listener game called 1-888-WAIT-WAIT to play. 
We'll be back in a minute with more of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. Support for NPR and the following message comes from Zip Recruiter. What if you had your own personal recruiter to help you find a better job? Now, Zip Recruiter's technology can do that for you. Just download the Zip Recruiter app, let it know what kind of jobs you're interested in, and it puts your profile in front of employers. If an employer likes your profile, Zip Recruiter lets you know. So if you're interested in the job, you can apply. Download the free Zip Recruiter job search app today and let the power of technology work for you. An Alabama man tried to forget about his involvement in a decades-old murder. I never opened my mouth for nobody. But finally, after all these years, he's admitted that he participated in the attack. But I never have been able to get caught. From NPR, it's White Lies. Listen and subscribe now. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis. We are playing this week with Adam Felber, Roxanne Roberts, and Peter Gross. And here again is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in downtown Chicago, Peter Segal. Thank you, Bill. Right now. It's time for the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me Bluff the Listener game. Call one wait wait to play our game on the air. Hi, you are on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Hello, Peter. Hi, who's this? My name is Mark Doherty, and I'm from Taunton, Massachusetts. Oh, Taunton, I know it well. What do you do there? I'm actually going off to Amherst in the fall to start a UMass Amherst. That's great. What are you going to do at uh, UMass Amherst? So I'm actually going for a double major in history and Chinese language and literature. Oh, that's exciting. Wow. That's cool. That'll be useful when they finally take over. I know it. (laughs) Mark, it's nice to have you with us. You're going to play our game in which you must try to tell truth from fiction. Bill, what is Mark's topic? Where's my $22,000? Bill Curtis is upset because he gets paid $22,000 a word, and there's a the we shorted him last week. (laughs) That's not the only missing twenty-two grand. Our panelists are going to tell you about someone that had an unlikely excuse for the $22,000 that we're missing that we heard about this week. Pick the one who's telling the truth. You'll win our prize. The wait waiter of your choice on your voicemail. You ready to play? Oh, yeah. All right. First, let's hear from Adam Felber. Mr. Palmer Connery was shocked when his watch repair store called to say that his beloved $22,000 diamond-studded Rolex Yacht Master II couldn't be fixed because it was, in fact, a cheap fake. Impossible, he thought. Why, he'd had it appraised only a year ago, and it never left his wrist, except for that one time when it was disappeared and then reappeared by that famous magician, and... Wait a minute. (laughs) Yes, police last week arrested Glasgow, Scotland's beloved illusionist, the Amazing Ferguson. Ferguson, they discovered, had a second career selling high-end watches on the internet. It turns out that Ferguson would inspect his audience with a security cam before the show, select a patsy with a nice watch, and then he'd choose his mark to volunteer during the show, get him on stage, and make his watch disappear. Moments later, he'd cut open a fresh watermelon with a hatchet, and inside would be, ta-da, here's your watch, sir. But of course it wasn't. (laughs) Police say that the internet records show that over the past five years, the amazing Ferguson has racked up sales of more than $1.5 million in stolen watches through his online boutique called, appropriately enough, (laughs) magictime.com. When confronted by police, Ferguson's excuse was that he's just a bad magician. Quote, see, I never figured out how to get that trick to work and get the real watch into that melon, so I just replaced the watches. 
And then, well, I had to get rid of all those watches. <laughs> <laughs> a bad magician, the amazing Ferguson, says he had to steal a $22,000 watch because he didn't know how to make it really disappear. Your next story of missing money comes from Roxanne Roberts. Colin Williamson was supposed to be in tax court Monday. Instead, he was in front of a Toronto judge explaining why he couldn't pay the 22000 past due taxes on his mother's estate. Before closing on his late mom's home, Williamson withdrew the money from the bank on Friday and held a giant garage sale on the property Saturday. Because his son is, quote, obsessed with money, Williamson allowed the six-year-old to man a toy cash register using Monopoly money, according to the Toronto Star. At some point during the day, his son, quote, sold some puzzles, a Yahtzee game, and an old copy of Monopoly, replacing the fake bills with the $22,000 in cash. <laughs> Williamson said during the chaotic day he had no idea what happened until hours later and zero clue who bought the game, nor how his son found the real currency and replaced it. He's asking the judge to forgive the debt, arguing that he shouldn't be forced to pay twice to satisfy the tax bill. The judge has given Williamson 30 days to recover the money or, quote, do not pass go, do not collect your money. The cash used for Monopoly money, and then it went out with the game at a garage sale. Your last story of a surprising excuse comes from Peter Gross. It was drama, crime, and intrigue at the Kano Zoological Gardens in Abuja, Nigeria, earlier this week, when 6.8 million naira, the equivalent of $22,000, went missing from the zoo's office. At the end of the week, officials finally cleared the suspect who had been blamed for the theft, a hungry gorilla. Let's rewind. When the money first disappeared, a local radio station interviewed an employee from the zoo's finance department who claimed, with a straight face even though it was on radio, that a gorilla had broken into the office, taken the money, and then eaten it. If that seems too strange and foreign to wrap your head around, just use the international news story exchange rate. A gorilla breaking into a Nigerian zoo and eating 6.8 million naira is like a bear breaking into a Waffle House and eating $22,000 of fidget spinners. Then came a shocking update. Run-of-the-mill uh, run human criminals were guilty and the gorilla was innocent. And how were the cops so sure they could exonerate the suspected simian? Well, as Abdullah Ganduje, governor of the Kano State, told reporters, the issue of the gorilla is junk journalism. This is because there is no gorilla in that zoo. <laughs> That's right, the Kano Zoological Gardens doesn't even have a gorilla. Police initially considered the possibility that the culprit could be a different gorilla from a totally different zoo who was just visiting this zoo with his family, <laughs> but then realized that this was ridiculous and the whole gorilla eating the money story was a hoax. So a word of advice, kids, if you're going to say the dog ate your homework, make sure you own a dog. <laughs> All right. So $22,000, in one form or another, went missing. What was the excuse offered for it? From Adam Felber, was it a magician who made people's watches disappear but never could figure out a way to give them back? From Roxanne Roberts, money used by a child for a Monopoly set who then sold the Monopoly set at a garage sale. Or from Peter Gross, a gorilla broke into the office at the zoo and ate it at a zoo that doesn't have a gorilla. Which of these is the real story of an excuse for losing money that we found in the news? Oh man, well, I think it would either be a tie between the Monopoly and the fake gorilla. Yes. But with the fake gorilla, 
All right, your choice then is Peter's story about the gorilla. To find out the correct answer, we spoke with someone who has lots of expertise about the real story. It's not that crazy to say that a gorilla might come across a stack of paper, like cash, and eat it. That was Erin Connolly, who studies primate behavior and ecology at Central Washington University, talking about the putative cash-eating gorilla, who did not exist, but now we know could have. <laughs> Congratulations, you got it right. Peter was telling the truth the whole time. You knew that. You win our prize. You get to choose any voice you might like on your voicemail. Peter gets a point. Everything's great. Thank you so much for playing. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Thank you. Take care. And now the game where we like to ask important people about unimportant things. <laughs> we all have friends. Some of us are lucky enough to have very close friends. A few are lucky enough to have friends so close they become family. And as far as we know, only one person had a friend like that who got elected president and then brought her to the White House to work as a senior advisor for all eight years of his term, and that's former Obama White House senior advisor Valerie Jarrett. Valerie, welcome to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Thank you so much. So this was something I didn't know and marvel at. You were the longest serving presidential advisor in history. Isn't that crazy? Maybe I was old enough to appreciate the fact, best job I would ever have, so why would I leave a second before I had to? In yep. fact, at 11.59, Secret Service started giving me that look like, you better get out of here, girl. <laughs> are, you kinda, are you kidding here? I mean, did you actually stay there till the very last day of President Obama's term? No, no, I was not exaggerating. I waved goodbye to the Obamas when they went off to the inauguration. And that's when I finally went over to the West Wing and turned in my credentials and my, you know, my iPhone. And just as I did that, I peeked in the Oval Office and they had already taken out President Obama's furniture, it was on the colonnade, the new oh. draperies were going up, and I thought, okay, guess it's time to go. Wow, yeah. Now, now you, of course, uh, met the Obamas when you were here in Chicago. Were you, I'm just going to say this because I've read your book, you were kind of a big shot. Well, I met Michelle Robinson in 1991 when I was trying to recruit her to come and work with me in the mayor's office. Right. And her fiancé didn't think it was such a great idea, so I'm like, well, who's he and why do we have to pay attention to what he <laughs> I mean, really, so I mean, you tell that story in the book that like, she's like, I have to check with my fiance. And you're like, what does he have to do with it? You, you, you were taken yeah. aback by this? And she said, he's going to be president, so let's just give him a second. Yeah. <laughs> Get on board with yeah. this. No, you know what, what I would say? Because everybody remarks it like, well, how unusual is that? But having now known them since 1991, every single decision he made for, about his career, she was right there at the table as well. So I think it was more an indication of the partnership that they were forming even before they were married, right. where they made big decisions together. And so they invited me to dinner, and I said, well, okay, I'll go to dinner with you too. And am I glad I did? That was a good move on my part. It was, yeah. Well, I, I guess I have to ask, what was your first impression of, of well, then, uh, I guess he wasn't even a state senator then, right? He was just a No, a he was guy. right out of law school. Yeah. You know what I thought? I thought, this is a smart, dedicated guy, he's committed to public service, maybe, just maybe one day, he could be mayor of Chicago. Wow. <laughs> you, you sized him up that way before you noticed his ears? <laughs> <laughs> 
You know what? I didn't notice his ears until everybody else started making fun of them. I really, they just kind of went unnoticed. And me. that's why he loves you so much. <laughs> that could explain it, right? Yeah. Sums it all up to that, that I did not notice the ears. So you were a senior advisor, and your job was uh, essentially dealing with all the other levels of government that needed things from the White House. Did you call him Mr. President all the time? I called him Mr. President whenever we were at work. Yes, I oh. thought it was out of respect for the man and for the office. Yeah, but so, so it was I, so it was Mr. President who invited you up to the residence, but it was Barack who took out the cocktail shaker. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> you know what? That's exactly right. That's All right. right. <laughs> <laughs> I can dig it. Well played. Well, it is a pleasure to talk to you, but we have in fact invited you here to play a game we're calling. VJ, meet the VJs. Your initials, of course, are VJ. That made us think of an extinct species. The VJ, or video jockey, the people who used to introduce music videos on MTV back when they still showed music videos. Stretch. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a little bit of a stretch. Yes. Answer two out of three questions correctly, and you win our prize for one of our listeners, the voice of their choice in their answering machine. Bill, who is Valerie Jarrett playing for? Christopher Jones of Davidson, North Carolina. Oh, uh, before we begin, uh, I, I, when we were speaking earlier, I told you that we had your former boss and current friend, uh, Barack Obama, on the show when he was a senator, and we tried to ask him three questions about something we didn't think he'd know anything about, and he knew all about it, <laughs> and you told me that he did that all the time. It's very annoying. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you think? Did like, you know, military experts come in and say, well, the new plane, and he'd say, you mean the F-35, and he'd like know more about it than anybody else? Yeah, that happened a lot. In fact, it got to the point where he said, you know, I actually know something about just about everything. <laughs> Never gave in to the urge to just slap him. <laughs> not, not in the Oval Office. They no. Not to even remotely tempted. Not even remotely. I want to be quoted on that. All right. <laughs> Duly noted. All right, here's your first question. Nina Blackwood, one of uh, the first MTV VJs, says she was reluctant to move to New York and take the job, but she felt she had to. Why? A, she had just gotten a great new haircut and was tired of just describing it on the radio. (laughs) B, it was the only way she could meet her idol, Billy Idol. Or C, an MTV executive saved her life with the Heimlich maneuver and said to her, now you owe me. I have no idea, but so I need a friend. I need to phone a friend. You need to phone a friend. Call well, Obama. Oh, call Obama. Yeah. I think maybe A. Did she get a cool haircut? It was, in fact, know. C. This actually happened at Tavern in the Green. She was out there talking about the job. She started the choke. He gave her the Heimlich maneuver and said, Now you owe me. And she took no the job. No way. It's true. I'm not sure I believe it, but it's a good story. Well, she she said it happened. That came from her mouth. You can't trust Nina Blackwood. I know. Here's your next question. Comedian Russell Brand was hired as a VJ for British MTV in 2000, but he lost the job in late 2001. Why? A, he came to the studio dressed as Osama bin Laden just a few days after 9-11. B, he brought his drug dealer to the set to meet Kylie Minogue. Or C, he brought his drug dealer's eight-year-old son to the set to meet Kylie Minogue. Is it all three? <laughs> I mean, it is Russell Brand. That's a pretty good chance that it's all three. That is pretty ridiculous. All right, well, it's not the first one. It's, um, what was the last one? <laughs> I'm, I'm like, Stalin 
looking for time while I'm Googling him, trying to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll well, go with number two. You're going to go with number two. You're right, but as Peter said, they were all true. Kind of joking. Not only that. Kind of joking. Not only that, he did it all on the same day. Wow. <laughs> Good Lord. He dressed as Osama bin Laden, brought his drug dealer and his drug dealer's eight-year-old son to the set. They fired him two days later. All right. Here's your last question. Eventually, MTV fired the VJs, stopped broadcasting videos, and moved to reality TV, like Jersey Shore. In Japan, when they broadcast that show, what did they call it? A, the odd humans who do not wear shirts. (laughs) B, American Hellhole, the series. Or C, MTV Jersey Shore, the New Jersey life of macaroni rascals. <laughs> because this it's my surprise, but I uh, actually know the answer. You know the answer. Could you just Google it? Is that how you know? <laughs> Number three. Number three. It is, in fact, C. You are correct. <laughs> macaroni rascals. Macaroni rascals. Macaroni rascals. That, that is Yay. apparently a phrase that Japanese people sometimes use to describe, shall, shall we say, colorfully ethnic Italians. <laughs> Bill, how did Valerie Jarrett do in our quiz? Valerie, you squeezed out a win with a, I'd say a one and a half. Uh... <laughs> None of that is very flattering. <laughs> but that's a win in our book, so you're a winner. Congratulations. I'll take it. I'm, I'm just going to say this. It kind of bothers you that you didn't get one right. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, um, yes. Peter, if I'm, if I'm not incorrect, I think Valerie and I share the same birthday. And just a teeny bit competitive. A little bit. A little bit, yeah. yeah. a little bit. I try to control it, but yeah, no, I don't like to lose. Well, yeah. Roxanne was saying she was actually born a little before you. <laughs> <laughs> We won't tell the president that you didn't do as well as he did if you don't. No, I have no intentions of telling him. All right. (laughs) Valerie Jarrett's book is called Finding My Voice, My Journey to the West Wing and the Path Forward. It's available now. Valerie Jarrett, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank Thank you. In just a minute, we look at you with puppy dog eyes in our listener limerick challenge game. Call one triple eight. Wait, wait to join us in the air. We'll be back in a minute with more of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. This message comes from NPR's sponsor, the Illinois Office of Tourism, who would like to ask if you're up for amazing. From Chicago to Lincoln Springfield, from Shawnee National Forest to Main Street Galena, there's a lot to see in Illinois. Some might even say it's amazing, but we won't because that's really up to you. So visit enjoyillinois.com and see if you're up for what some people might call amazing. Evangelicals play an important role in today's politics. But how and when did this religious group become so political? This week on Throughline, the history of evangelicals in America. Throughline from NPR, the podcast where we go back in time to understand the present. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis. We're playing this week with Peter Gross. 
Adam Felber and Roxanne Roberts. And here again is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in downtown Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. In just a minute. In just a minute. Bill corrects you, it's not Gypsy, it's Rima in our Listener Limerick Challenge. If you'd like to play, give us a call at one wait wait that's one 924 8924 But right now, panel, some more questions for you from the week's news. Peter, an Alabama man currently wanted for drug possession and- Roy other- Moore. No, <laughs> oh, sorry. An Alabama man currently wanted for drug possession and other charges insists that despite reports you've heard, he never, ever, ever gave crystal meth <laughs> to his what? Oh, to oh, his what? Oh, to his oh. what? Okay. Best story of the week. Okay. Um, I'm going to get five quick guesses. Yes. Donkey, sun, nun, a watermelon, clone. <laughs> First guess was the closest. Uh, Donkey was the closest. Donkey I give closest. up and I'll go, we'll cede to Roxanne. No. Roxanne, don't go ahead. If is, is this the meth squirrel? This is the meth squirrel. <laughs> allegedly. So, allegedly. So, Mickey Paul. Like, this guy's going to sue us if we say no, he really did no, it. No, you <laughs> wait for it. <laughs> Mickey Pock is actually a wanted fugitive, location unknown, but he called the Washington Post just to... I want to talk to Roxanne Roberts. No. He called the Washington Post just to deny the accusation that he had been giving meth to his pet squirrel (laughs) named Deez Nuts. (laughs) He says, he says, quote... My squirrel is babied beyond anything anyone can imagine. He says, I baby these nuts. He says, he rescued the squirrel as a baby, bottle fed it. Earlier this week, authorities in Alabama raided his apartment, a drug raid, and found what they called, seriously, an attack squirrel. <laughs> and said that Mr. Pock, who had fled, clearly had been feeding the squirrel meth to make it aggressive. They put out a warrant for Mr. Pock. They released the squirrel in the woods. And what? Then, oh, yes, they did that. And then Mr. Pock, who is, again, a wanted fugitive, says he went to the woods to rescue the squirrel. He says Deez Nuts responded to his voice and came scampering down onto his shoulder. Because it and, wanted its drugs. <laughs> then he posted a Facebook video of him and the squirrel showing them together. In response, and I need to say I have not yet begun to make anything up. (laughs) The Limestown County Sheriff's Office said that may not even be the same squirrel. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) How do they know? They all look alike. Yeah, how are they supposed to know? We're not going to take this guy's word for it that that's his squirrel. I bet the squirrel (laughs) ran into the woods and was like, there's this guy that gives you this stuff that makes you feel amazing. (laughs) You know how, like, we're all really hyper? You guys want to be more hyper than we are? (laughs) What I think we we, we flipped over, though, is that there's there's a point in that story where some dude is wandering through the woods in Alabama yelling, D's nuts. (laughs) (laughs) D's nuts. (laughs) D's nuts. And all the other people in Alabama are going, oh, this again. (laughs) Has anyone seen D's nuts?
Coming up, it's lightning fill in the blank, but first it's the game where you have to listen for the rhyme. If you'd like to play an air call, we'll leave a message at one triple eight wait wait. That's one eight 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 nine two four eight nine two four. You can always click the contact us link on our website, waitwait.npr.org. There you can find out about attending our weekly live shows right here at the Chase Bank Auditorium in Chicago and our upcoming shows on the road this Thursday at the Mann Center in Philadelphia and July eighteenth at the Blossom Music Center just outside of Cleveland in Cuyahoga National Park. Hi, you're on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Hi, everybody. This is Renee, and I'm calling from Alpine, California. Now, where's Alpine? It's about a half hour east of San Diego. Oh, up in the hills there. It's beautiful there. What do you do there? Well, I'm a wildlife biologist, so I get to wander around looking for endangered creatures, (laughs) and sometimes I muck about South American swamps, studying big ones like crocodiles and anacondas. That's cool. Wow. Yeah. I like that you call it mucking about. Too. Yeah. <laughs> Renee, welcome to the show. Bill Curtis is going to read for you three news-related limericks with a last word or phrase missing from each. If you can fill in that last word or phrase correctly and two of the limericks will be a winner. Here is your first limerick. All pups look so cute and so wise. It's not just their sweet little size. It's one little look and I'm deeply shook. They've got those adorable... Yes. Oh, you'll be interested in this as a biologist. A new study suggests that domesticated dogs have evolved the ability to sort of raise their eyebrows to make those so-called puppy dog eyes at their owners. Their findings were published in the journal Who's a Good Scientist? (laughs) (laughs) That's right, you are. Now, we're talking about like that classic puppy dog look. They look when they're like, oh, please love me, that look. They found that dogs and gray wolves have very similar anatomy, but wolves lack those special eye muscles that allow dogs to do that eyebrow thing. This is why we like dogs and fear wolves, apart from the constantly trying to kill us thing. Yeah, wolves, that's where wolves are like, oh, we don't have the puppy dog eyes. Uh, what's our other option? I guess we should try to eat them. Okay. <laughs> Definitely eat just go. Let's just go in the whole other direction. <laughs> right. And that way, that'll be our thing, and then they'll do the cute thing. Yeah. Like, socially, we can't compete. Yeah. yeah. I feel, like, good about it. I feel, like, good about Like, we have fangs. I think we're in the right area. Yeah. This is good. We already travel in a pack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's hunt. <laughs> Here is your next limerick. For fried food with glazing, we go nuts. The hole in the middle's a slow cut. The Bronze Age did sing of the powerful ring. We just found the world's oldest... Donut. Donut, yes. Archaeologists in Austria may have discovered the first ever donut. The archaeologists believe a Bronze Age baker made the, quote, ring-shaped loaves, which is really impressive. Archaeologists found the whole lot in a container marked really, really, really crispy creams. <laughs> but it's one, I mean, how many years after early man discovered the donut did they realize they'd also discovered the wheel? <laughs> Somebody's like, hey, pass me a donut, and he drops it and it rolls on the ground. And the guy's like, whoa! Now we have a way to go get more donuts! <laughs> <laughs> We should put a cart on four donuts. <laughs> All right, here is your last limit. <laughs> Once it's born, who will he, she, or they be? Well, not Adolf, but Jupiter? Maybe. 
They'll need someone to blame, so put us in the game. If you pay us, we'll name your new... <laughs> Gosh, baby? Yes! yes. <laughs> Online baby naming company Future Perfect takes the stress out of naming your child by letting you hand it over to a complete stranger. It sounds like a good idea until you realize the company makes all of its money selling ads. Welcome to the world, wild cherry Pepsi Jones. <laughs> for $100, the company's founders will brainstorm names with you for 15 minutes. 15 minutes. And for $350, they'll also provide you with a list of 10 potential first names and 10 potential middle names. But granted, it is technically a tech startup, so they'll probably just name your baby something weird with no vowels. <laughs> This is little baby Nixon. <laughs> <laughs> That's as ridiculous as letting your phone tell you when to go to sleep. <laughs> Imagine giving that kind of power to some anonymous electronic force. Yeah. <laughs> Bill, how did Renee do in our quiz? Well, Renee's going to have a good time on those wildlife explorations because she got them all right. Yay! Congratulations. Thank you so much for playing. Bye-bye. Thank you, guys. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Odoo. Odoo is a management software that covers all your business needs in a one-stop solution. Odoo apps are perfectly integrated to each other, allowing you to fully automate your business processes. Want to boost your business? Check out Odoo's new business game, Scale Up. It's fun, it's smart, and Odoo offers it for free, shipping included. Use promo code WAIT on odoo.com slash scaleup. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Capital One. With the Spark Cash Card from Capital One, you earn unlimited 2% cash back on all of your business purchases. Think about it. Unlimited 2% cash back on everything you buy for your business. And that cash back can add up to thousands of dollars, which you can reinvest back into your business so you can keep growing. Imagine what unlimited 2% cash back could do for your business. More at CapitalOne.com. What's in your wallet? Now it's time to move on to our final game, Lightning Fill-in-the-Blank. Each of our players will have 60 seconds in which to answer as many fill-in-the-blank questions as he or she can. Each correct answer now worth two points. Bill, can you give us the score? Adam and Peter each have two. Roxanne has three. All right. Lovely. We have flipped a coin. Peter's elected to go second. So, Adam, that means you're up first. The clock will start when I begin your first question. Fill in the blank. On Wednesday, Mexico became the first country to sign the USMCA trade deal, which is intended to replace blank. Uh, NAFTA. Right. The FBI revealed this week that they were conducting toxicology tests on minibar items following the deaths of nine American tourists in blank. The Dominican Republic. Right. This week, President Trump launched his re-election campaign in blank. Orlando. Orlando, Florida. On Thursday, disgraced Republican blank announced he'd once again run for Senate in Alabama. Roy Moore. Right. In Australia, a blank is being accused of stealing 18 beers, getting drunk, and starting a fight with a cow. A kangaroo. A pig. <laughs> oh, this week, Apple recalled certain blanks over risk of fire. iPhones. Uh, no, MacBooks. Oh. Following complaints from parents, video streaming service Blank announced it was considering moving all kids' videos to a separate platform. YouTube. Right. The nominees for the ESPY Awards were released this week, and early favorites include Simone Biles, Serena Williams, and Blank. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> <laughs> you are closer... You are closer than you think, because the answer is a 50-year-old nun. 
Sister Mary Jo Subject threw out the first pitch at a Chicago White Sox game and stunned the crowd by throwing a perfect curveball right across the plate. The video of the pitch went viral, so, <coughs> excuse me. Oh no, how viral did it go? Are Very you Very viral. <laughs> <laughs> Better not watch that video. Yeah. <laughs> the video of the pitch went viral, and now Sobiec is up for one of sports' most prestigious awards. It's going to be so embarrassing when she wins and during her acceptance speech forgets to thank her husband, God. Bill, <laughs> <laughs> so how did Adam do in our quiz? He got five rights, ten more points, total of 12. All right. He's in the lead. Matt. Congratulations. Matt, I think. No, Matt. That was Better than that. Better than that. All right, Peter, you're up next. Fill in the blank. On Wednesday, the UN found Saudi Arabia legally responsible for the death of journalist Blank. Jamal Khashoggi. Right. On Wednesday, former White House Communications Director Blank gave limited testimony before Congress. Hope Hicks. Right. This week, Joe Biden came under fire for highlighting his work with noted blanks as an example of bipartisan civility. Um, horned devils. No, uh, segregation. Yes. On Monday, former Egyptian President Blank collapsed in a courtroom and was declared dead. Oh, uh, um... What the heck is his name? Uh, Sisi. No, this was Mohamed Morsi. An elderly man in England who filmed his entire vacation on a GoPro camera was a bit disappointed when he reviewed the f footage and found blank. He was older than he thought he was. No, that he had the camera pointed at himself the whole time. <laughs> Officials in the Dominican Republic are now saying that the shooting of baseball star blank was a case of mistaken identity. Uh, big puppy. Yeah, David Ortiz. According to a new survey, over 40% of blank colonies died out this past year. Martian. No, honeybee colonies. A woman who asked oh. for a Mariah Carey-themed birthday cake was surprised when she got blank instead. Gloria Vanderbilt. No. <laughs> instead of a Mariah Carey cake, she got a Marie Curie cake. <laughs> oh, no. She told her co-workers she wanted a cake of her favorite pop star, but they misunderstood and got her a cake of doomed Nobel Prize-winning chemist Marie Curie. <laughs> Bill, how did Peter do in our quiz? Four right. Eight more points, ten, so he's in second place. All right, how many does Roxanne need to win? Five to win. Oh, easy peasy. Oh, don't it's a layup. Me. There's no jinxing you. Don't There's no possible me. way you could mess this up, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Roxanne, this is for the game. Fill in the blank. On Wednesday, the House Judiciary Committee held a meeting to discuss the possibility of offering blanks to African Americans affected by slavery. Reparations. Right. Amid claims of domestic abuse, Patrick Shanahan withdrew his candidacy for Secretary of Blank. Defense. Right. This week, Boris Johnson took the lead to replace Blank as the Prime Minister of the UK. Theresa May. Right. In a reversal of Obama-era climate laws, the EPA eased restrictions on the blank industry on Wednesday. Uh, coal industry yeah. slash carbon emissions. Yeah, thousands of angry Christians have signed a petition demanding that Netflix cancel Good Omens, a show that is blank. Um, <laughs> it's, 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 they, they think it's heretical and, and, but it's not. That's true, but what we were looking for is they're trying to demand Netflix cancel Good Omens, a show that is not on Netflix. <laughs> oh. According to a new study, more pregnant women in the U.S. are using blank. Uh, uh, are using blank? Alcohol, the no, drinking wine. marijuana. On oh. Thursday, Taco Bell announced it would not be adding the popular meat substitute blank to its menu. The Impossible Burger right? stuff. Right. Yeah. A multi-million dollar program to extend high-speed internet across Kentucky has been delayed because of blank. Is this the one where the squirrels ate through all the... Um, uh, yes, things? Roxanne, okay. it is. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
For a second there, Roxanne, we all thought you were going to blow the layup. It was really interesting. <laughs> Officials in charge of the project requested an additional $110 million from Kentucky state government, saying that the high-speed internet lines that were supposed to be up and running in April have been delayed thanks to ravenous squirrels. <laughs> One squirrel in particular. <laughs> Bill, did Roxanne do well enough to win? Well, she needed five. She got six. There you go. For a total of 15, Roxanne wins. In just a minute, we're going to ask our panelists to predict what will be the big surprise at the Democratic debates next week. Thanks once again to Stock and Ledger here in Chicago for feeding us. Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is a production of NPR and WBEZ Chicago in association with Urgent Haircut Productions, Doug Berman, Benevolent Overlord. Philip Godeker writes our limericks. Our public address announcer is Paul Friedman. Our house manager is Tyler Green, assisted by Simon Tran. Our interns are Panina Beatty and Lila Francis. Our web guru is Beth Novi. BJ Lederman composed our theme. Our program is produced by Jennifer Mills, Miles Dornboss, and Lillian King. Our wheel of fortune before and after is Peter Gwyneth Paltrow. Technical directions from Lorna White. Our business and ops manager is Colin Miller. Our production coordinator is Robert Newhouse. Our senior producer is Ian Chillag. And the executive producer, wait, wait, don't tell me, is Michael Danforth. Now, panel, what will be the big surprise at the Democratic debate? Peter Gross. Everything will be going along very swimmingly until the moderator will be interrupted about an hour and a half in by Peter Sagel's phone telling him it's time to end the debate. <laughs> Roxanne Roberts. The meth squirrel will run on stage and accuse Joe Biden of low energy. <laughs> and Adam Felder. A surprise candidate from Alabama will pledge, quote, as president, I promise I will make no decisions without first consulting these nuts. I need to touch base with these nuts every day. Well, if any of that happens, <laughs> panel, we're going to ask you about it on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Thank you, Bill Curtis. <laughs> Thanks to Adam Felber, Roxanne Roberts, and Peter Gross. Thanks to all of you for listening at home. I'm Peter Sagal. We'll see you next week in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. This is NPR.